Nice work, Jamal. Jamal, see in here? There, there he is. Nice. Coming straight from work, right to the camera, looking all coat and tie. Nice. I like it. Maybe we got to do some type of swap for the men's getaway, huh? I don't know what that would be. Gun holsters, cigars, something. I don't know, something. Something. We're going to come up with a, a guy accessory swap for the men's getaway. All right. Vanessa said no. All right. We're not doing an accessory swap at the men's getaway this year. So, Hey, we are right just in the heart of a series that we've been tracking in all year uh, called Let's Praxis. It's, it's, a, it's a phrase that has, has become popular here at City Life. It's a way that we challenge one another to go further in our life as a devoted follower of Christ. There's a website that's devoted to it. A lot of visitors that have been tracking uh, just this summer. So this, this whole concept of Praxis, P-R-A. XIS might be new for you. We're not going to define that in great detail tonight. Uh, don't be lazy. Go to the website. It's all there. You can learn about it. There's a book there that you can get. If you're new to the church, we want to give you that book as a gift. And somebody in a blue shirt, there, there's an inventory of those in the cart in the back. And so again, don't, don't be prideful of asking for something for free. You with me? If, if you're new to the church and you want to learn about what discipleship means here at City Life, at the end of the service, find somebody in a blue shirt and they'll give you one of those books. Our model is based on four simple numbers, the one, the six, the 12, and the 24. There's one invitation, there's six commands, 12 pathways, and 24 virtues. When I accept the one, I obey the six, and to obey the six, I walk in the 12, and when I walk in the 12, I become the 24, the 24 virtues of the character of Christ, which is the ultimate measure of my progress as a disciple. That's the heart of who we are here at City Life Church. And so all throughout this year, we've been just jumping into different parts of this model. And so of the 12 pathways that many people think of as spiritual disciplines, one of them is prayer. And, and we started in on prayer two weeks ago. We took a pause last uh, weekend uh, with Denise's passing, but we're picking back up with that tonight. And at least tonight and next week, possibly three, we'll see how far uh, we get tonight. And, and to, to kind of help us explore this idea of prayer that the Bible Bible speaks so much of. We're talking about the Lord's Prayer in particular. So two weeks ago, kind of as an introductory uh, foundational setup for the Lord's Prayer, we talked about Romans 8, 26, and 28. Remember, we learned that phrase together. I have a condition where I find a companion who gives me a chore that breeds in me a confidence that builds to a cry, and that cry was what? Oh, come on. What was the cry? I, something in you. I'm leaving. <laughs> Come on, what's, what's, your, what's, the, what's, the, what's the T word that defines your relationship with God? There you go. I know. All right, go back to Facebook. It's okay. I didn't know. Well, I didn't know I was going to have to answer questions. I, right? Okay, yeah. All right, you're, you got more questions to answer. Especially after that. All right, come on. I trust in you, right? That was, we, we spent a, uh, two weeks ago, the, the whole service was building to this idea. There should be a cry that's welling up in your heart. I trust in you. It, it should be a concept that defines my relationship with God. And I believe this idea of trusting in God, this cry that should be flowing out of your heart, it is the filter through which we're supposed to understand the Lord's prayer. 
The Lord's Prayer is, is found in a couple of different places in the Bible. I want to look at all of them uh, tonight, Matthew and Luke. And, and, and the first one, we're, we're, and we're going to look at two different translations because they each give us a little bit different of a, of a prayer. So the first one in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, I'm going to read out of the New American Standard. It says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now in the King James, it's a little bit different, not just in how it sounds because it's kind of using old English, but, but there's a, a last part that's attached in the King James Version that's not in the New American Standards. It says, after this manner, therefore pray ye our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven, be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And, and King James gives us some more. Here it comes. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now let's listen to Luke. In the King James it says, and it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now this detail that Luke gives us is not a detail that Matthew gives us. In Matthew, it's embedded in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Luke, we're given this detail that what prompts this, this prayer is a question by the disciples. But Matthew leaves that out, and I'm going to explain why that is in just a minute. One of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. And give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, in the New American Standard, we're given a very similar prayer, but in both of Luke's accounts, we're not given, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's just talk about those differences a little bit. One is that sometimes when you're reading in the Gospels, there's repetition. Might be what you find in John, you also find it in Luke or Mark or Matthew. Sometimes it's in one, sometimes it's in two, three. On rare occasion, all four Gospel writers give us the same account. And sometimes we're given the same account because it's four different people's perspective on the same moment in time. Meaning that God wants you to see it from different angles. And so this same event, the same parable, the same miracle, the same teaching, it's the same moment in history, and Matthew's given us account, Luke's given us account, and so forth and so on. Now there's other times where there's repetition, not because it shares a moment in history. This is important because it can confuse you as you're reading through the Gospels and you think that maybe they're contradicting each other. But sometimes there's repetition, not because it's sharing a similar moment in time, it's because Jesus reused his material. I know. Yeah. Right. So when you go to a church and a pastor, you think he preached that sermon a couple of years ago. Yes, yeah, so did Jesus. So take it up with him. Yeah, this is part of how we do it here at City Life. Things that are foundational to this church, they are in our pulpit, in our teaching every single year. We talk about Sabbath rest every single year. We teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit every single year. There's certain things that are foundational. It was the same with Jesus. There were certain things that he said, this is so foundational, I'm gonna keep teaching it. And throughout his three years of ministry, he taught the same thing at different times. Now, Jesus also worked a lot of new stuff in. 
because he was prophetic in the moment. He knew what the crowd needed to hear, and so we follow that same model here. There's certain things that we teach every year, and then throughout the year we'll do a series, or we'll make a pause to really speak to what we feel like God is doing in the moment. So as you're reading through the gospel, sometimes there's repetition because there's many different angles that God wants you to hear, but sometimes because it's foundational. It's in Luke and Matthew, not because they share a moment in time. These are two different times in Jesus' ministry. This is how important prayer is. It's interesting to me, too, that it took a while for the, for the disciples to finally say to Jesus, teach us about this thing. They'd heard it before. They'd been in sermons where he had shared it before. And finally they say, hey, we need to learn how to do that. Would you not teach us? There are times where we need to come and ask Jesus to teach us some things that maybe are lacking in our life. And it might be that prayer is one of those things for you. It might be that you need to be like one of those disciples as you look into your life and see that maybe prayer is a pathway is, is a little bit less than it should. It's a little bit less prominent in your life. And we're hoping that this conversation about the Lord's Prayer is going to inspire you like it inspired the disciples 2,000 years ago. I want to suggest to you that the Lord's Prayer is best understood as 10 declarations of trust. It's not the only way to understand the Lord's Prayer. It's not the only way to use the Lord's Prayer. But I believe that when you begin to understand the Lord's Prayer through this filter of Romans 8, where we started two weeks ago, this cry of I trust in you, it changes the way that you see these verses. And I believe it changes it in such a way that, 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 that as you begin to use this prayer in your life, these 10 declarations can all of a sudden change the way that you approach circumstances in your life where sometimes you feel overwhelmed. It's powerful to me, too, that all of the pronouns in the Lord's Prayer are plural. Do you notice that? It doesn't start out with my Father in heaven. It says our Father in heaven. It doesn't say, give me today my daily bread. It says, give us today our daily bread. It doesn't say, forgive me of my trespasses or my debtors. It says, forgive us of our it doesn't say don't lead me into temptation or don't lead them into temptation. It says don't lead us into temptation. Now this doesn't mean that the Lord's Prayer cannot be individualized. That's not my point. But what Jesus was doing here in both accounts, the pronouns are plural, is because he was trying to say to you and saying to me, if your life is not immersed in community, then this thing called prayer is not even going to have an impact. Because the context of your life matters. You can experience some of the power of prayer by yourself, but what Jesus was saying to them and what he's saying to us is the, the context of your life, you should be immersed in community through the local church if you're gonna experience everything that prayer is supposed to be. Whether you're praying together or whether you're praying by yourself, if you're by yourself in this prayer, it should be that you've come out of community into this place and you're on your way back to community after you're done. Jesus had no concept for Christianity that existed in isolation. The Apostle Paul had no context in Christianity for by yourself. If you're listening to this message because you're on the podcast and you're not even in here tonight, but you're listening to this at some point, maybe in the future, and, and, and the reason why you're not in a setting like this is because your mindset and your mentality is, I don't need people to need Jesus, that's true but you're never gonna experience everything that Jesus has for you until you get back into community with people. 
You're never gonna experience the Bible the way God intended you to experience it by yourself. You can get some of it, but you'll never get all of it. And you can say that about every single one of the 12 pathways. Jesus died not just to restore us in relationship to God, he died to restore us to relationship with one another. Matthew 6, 9a, the first part of this verse, our Father, it all starts here. My perspective that's gonna come through the rest of this prayer, it, it all starts with those two simple words. You know, a word that gets used a lot in our, in our culture is conflicts of interest, does it not? What, what are some settings where people are like, oh no, he's coming down, he's coming down. What, what are some, please go to the other side, right? This is what's going on, I know, right? Back to Facebook, back so maybe he won't call on me. What, what's, what's a setting where conflict of interest is used? Where have you used that phrase yourself or heard it? Somebody over here, Steve. Yeah, business contracts. You might say, hey, there's a conflict of interest in here. Somebody else. Garland. Yeah, when a judge recuses himself from a case, it's maybe because he has a conflict of interest. Somebody else. Somebody else. Where do you see conflict of interest? What's that? Fantasy football tree. There you go, right? I know. Come on. That's right. That's why there has to be a commissioner. Yes. Is there a hand over here? Alvin. Nepotism. Nepotism, right? It's when somebody is hiring a relative who's less qualified than somebody else just because they're a relative. Conflict of interest. Where else? How about the political arena? Yeah? Come on. The, what's that? What did, what did Doug say? The whole, yeah, yeah. Right? Conflict of interest. We, we use this phrase in our society to describe a moment where there are two interests that are competing with one another. And the reason why that's a problem is because one of them has to give way to the other. Or if there's gonna be a moment of compromise to kind of meet halfway, it means that, that both people have to give up a little something, right? God does not struggle with conflicts of interest. And the reason why he does not struggle with conflicts of interest is because his power has no limit, which is where we're headed in this next part of the Lord's Prayer. We're gonna get there. See, the reason why conflicts of interest happen in this world with us is because we're limited in our power. We we don't have unlimited resources, so we have to hire one person or the other. It it, it might be that in the the situation that Garland was talking about for for the judge, the reason why he has to recuse himself from that case because he realized he's vulnerable to his own biases, so he has to step away, right? There's limitations to humanity. God does not have limits. And that's important for us to recognize and understand is because this first part of this prayer, our Father, it means lots of things. But what it means more than anything else, it is a declaration of trust. We believe that you always have our best interest at heart. That's what it means. It means that you're living your life in such a way where you believe that God always has your best interest at heart. You might say, well, Fred, how can he have my best interest at heart and have somebody else's best interest at heart? Because there's no limit to his power. He can do it all. You might say, well, well what, when, what about when, when what's in my interest is not what's in his interest? That's not a problem for him because he can accomplish his interest and your interest all the time, every time, that's divinity. 
It is a foreign concept in our humanity because we live in such a world that is competitive. We live in such a world where there's give and take and God lives in a universe that he created where he says, I can do all of it. I do not have to choose. We can say to him, God, I believe that you always have my best interest at heart. Somebody else over here is praying, God, I believe that you have my best interest at heart. And it might be that you both are praying about the same situation that you feel like you're in conflict. I'm telling you, God can get you to a place where everybody wins. This is part of what it means to believe that he is my father. It's part of what it means for you to believe that he's your father. There, something changes in your relationship with God when you wake up every day with this declaration, God, I believe that you always have my best interest at heart. Regardless of my situation, regardless of my circumstance, regardless of what everybody else might be saying to me, even the doubts in my own heart, I believe that you have our best interest at heart. It's where Jesus says prayer begins with this great declaration of trust. All right, Matthew 6, 9, be the second part, right? So he says, our Father, and then it says, who art in heaven. All right, I got some giveaways here. How about, how about we'll work with the teenagers a little bit? Now, I thought I had three iTunes gift cards, but I just have two, but I have an IOU, and I'm a man of my word. All right. <laughs> so the three O words that describe the nature of God, there's three. They all begin with O, and they talk about God's greatness. Somebody give me one, Tim. Omnipotent. Come on. Come on. All right, one down, two to go. Somebody else? Derek? Omnipresent, number two. All right, there's one left. This omnipotent, omnipresent. What's the third one, anybody? What's that? Omniscient, yes, come on, right? Look at this. Pastor David's on vacation. He would be so proud. I know. Omniscient omnipotent, and omnipresent. Yeah, those are important words for us. See, those words tell us why I can say to him, I believe that you have my best interest at heart. Why? Because he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he's ever-present. There is no limit to his power. Limitless do you see how your life begins to change? Where you wake up in the morning, even if you're facing tragedy and crisis, there's a part of you that can say, God, we trust that you always have our best interests at heart. And we trust that you're all-knowing and you're all-powerful and you're ever-present. Yeah. Even in superhero comic book folklore, there's limits. Yeah. Somebody tell me who this is. And don't say Jean-Luc Picard from Star Trek because you're old. You're old. All right. Professor, yeah, Professor X, right? Now, in the X-Men, he can connect to the thoughts of every person in the world. Yeah. But he still doesn't know everything. See, even when we're making up stories about superheroes, we, we can't quite get there all the way. Because in our humanity, it's hard to conceive of what these three words mean. 
omniscience goes so far beyond this, it's beyond human comprehension. How about the next one? Yeah. Don't, don't give me Superman versus Batman. Give me this fight, right? This is what I want to see. Don't give me Floyd Mayweather and McGregor. Give me the Hulk versus Superman. Give me a real battle. I want to see this movie made. Two indestructible. Oh, maybe they're not indestructible because in the last movie, Superman died. Spoiler alert. There was a gasp. and People just stomped out. I can't go to that church. They don't even believe in Superman's invincibility. Yeah, he has a vulnerability. It's called? Yeah, you don't know that you're supposed to trust in God, but you know that answer? Out of here. The Hulk. What, you know, this, this is what I think the Hulk's vulnerability is. If science created him, science can undo him. Right? That's, the, that's the, the lingering question of vulnerability in his life. Omniscience. See, even our su- when we're trying to create superheroes that are all powerful, there's still, there's like something inside of us that just can't go all the way there. How about this last one, omnipresent? Yeah. Last week, Stan Anderson took a picture, and it turns out my oldest son is the Flash. Right there. Who knew, Derek? Who knew? He's been hiding in our midst all this time. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. The Flash, he can get to everywhere fast, but he can't be in more than one place at a time. It's, right, when we think about comic books, there, there's, there's no limit to what powers we can give these superheroes that we create. But something inside of us resists this, this going too far. God lives in the too far. The very nature of his being is far beyond our comprehension. And it's effortless for him. He doesn't even have to try. He doesn't even have to try. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And he's ever-present. All-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present. See, when I believe those things about him, I get to this place of God I trust. We trust that you have our best interests at heart. And we trust that you were all-knowing, that you were ever-present, and that you were all-powerful. Our Father, who art in heaven. There's so much packed into just these, these few little words. Listen to Isaiah 40, 12 to 28. Isaiah 40, 12 to 28. <laughs> who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth besides Nathaniel Miller? Or weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path to justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. 
They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. All of the wood in Lebanon's forest and all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. The nations of the world are are worth nothing to him. In his eyes, they count for less than nothing, a mere emptiness and froth. To whom can you compare God? What image can, can, you, can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold or overlaid with gold or decorated with silver and change? Or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay or a skilled craftsman and carve an image that won't fall. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you too deaf to the words about God, the words that have gone before the world has begun? Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the people of the world and he brings them all to nothing. They they hardly get started, barely taking root when he blows on them and they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff and it goes on and on and on. Isaiah 40 is one of the most powerful chapters in all of scripture and we just read just a chunk of those verses. Isaiah 40 is saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. He's all knowing, he's all powerful and he's ever present omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. In heaven means we trust that you are all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present. 9C, come on. This is just the first verse of the Lord's Prayer. Ten declarations of trust. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. If you find one of these cards in an attic, you better hold on to it. Because it's the baseball card of Honus Wagner, and it's worth $2.8 million. There's many of them out in circulation. Two point, some of you, you're going to go home, you're going to be thumbing through, right? Where's my baseball cards? Just one, $2.8 million. Give me the next slide. Yeah, 1964 Ferrari 275 GTBC Special. Not special, special. Now, the owner of this car passed away this year, and it's believed that when this car goes on auction, which it will, that it will take $100 million to buy it. It's one of a kind, one of a kind, and when it sells, it will be the most expensive car ever that's been purchased. A hundred million. Give me the next one. Paul Cezanne, the card players. Are you kidding me? Right? It's not Van Gogh, right? It's not Picasso. It's not Salvador Dali or Jackson Pollock, right? If you want to get modern, it's Paul Cezanne. I didn't, I didn't, you know, again, I, I was an economics major. I'm not an art guy, but I'm like, I didn't even... That's the painting, that's the most valuable painting in the world. It's estimated between 259 and $320 million. Two guys playing cards. Yeah, it is a lot of money. What's the next one? Mm-hmm. The Koh-i-Noor diamond. In Persian, it means mountain of light. It, they can't even put a value on it. it it's part of the, of the British crown jewels. 
It's this diamond that's, that's right here on the front of this crown, right there at the bottom. The second most valuable diamond in the world is also priceless. They just think this is more priceless than the other. Go figure. How do you even, how, how, right? Get, can it at least be a tie, right? The third most valuable diamond in the world, number three, comes in at over $400 million for a rock that came out of the earth. Hagiadzo, which is Greek for hallowed. And that's what it means. It means one of a kind. It means to be set apart out of the ordinary. It means that there's no one else like him. Let's watch this clip together. That's my favorite line out of the whole movie. There's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. See, even in comic book folklore, we, we can't escape the reality that there's something that's make-believe, but even the thing that is make-believe gives reference to the one thing that is real, that there is only one God, and Hagiadzo, hallowed be thy name. There is nothing else like him. There's no one else that's ever been like him. He did inherit the throne of the universe from someone, and he's not passing it on. He's ruling it with his son. They are eternal everlasting. It's part of this phrase, the alpha and the omega. He has no beginning and he has no end. Hagiadzo, hallowed be your name. What happens to your life when you begin to wake up every day with this declaration of trust? God, we believe that you always have our best interests at heart. We, we believe that you are all-knowing and you're all-powerful and you're ever-present. And we believe, and we believe there is no one else like you. When those declarations of trust, and that's just three of the ten that we're going to be looking at together. There's ten. Just those. Jesus could have stopped right there, and that could have been the Lord's Prayer, and that would have been enough to sustain us. But he doesn't. He gives us seven more. Seven more. The Lord's Prayer, I'm telling you, when you begin to look at this prayer, not just as petition, but as praise, it will revolutionize your life and your walk with him. Psalm 113, one through six. Praise the Lord. Yes, give praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever, everywhere. From east to west, praise the name of the Lord. For the Lord is high above the nations. His glory is higher than the heavens. Who can be compared with the Lord our God who is a throne on high? He, he has to stoop to look down on the heavens and the earth because there is none like him. You can invite the band to come back up. We're going to do one more tonight. As we jump to verse 10, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of these are saying the same thing. See, once we get through the first three, this fourth one should be easy for us. See, they built, 
the first declaration of trust leads to the second declaration of trust, and the second declaration of trust serves the first. And the second declaration of trust leads to the third declaration of trust that serves the second and the first, and the same is true as we keep going through. This verse is simply asking one question. Who is the ultimate authority in my life? Who is the ultimate authority in my life? Your kingdom come means that you're saying to God, you get to make all the rules, all of them. This idea of a kingdom coming in ancient times when they conquered a foreign land, they got to decide the laws of the land. Everything was displaced, and if it wasn't displaced, it's because the conquering kingdom chose to keep it, but it was their choice. They got to make the rules. At some point, you and I have to say to God, you get to make the rules that I will live by. Not some of them, not a few of them, not one through three, and I'm doing the rest. All of them. Your kingdom come. You make the rules. Your will be done means that I believe that he has a plan for my life, for every human being, and for the course of human history. Your kingdom come, you make the rules. Your will be done. You have a plan and a purpose. I'm not an accident. There's a life that you created me to live, and I want to live that life. Guess what? The only way that you get to live that life is when you follow his rules. On earth as it is in heaven. It's our way of saying, God, we don't want to resist your plan, and we don't want to resist your rules. We want your rules to be followed as easily in my heart and in our world as if we were already in heaven. We want your plans to go forward in here and in here and out there as if we were already in heaven. Our Father says, God, we trust that you have our best interest at heart who art in heaven, we trust that you're all-powerful and you're all-knowing and you're ever-present. Hallowed be your name. We trust that there is no one else like you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We trust you to be the ultimate authority in our lives. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment of worship, you know the circumstance and the situation of every heart that's in here. As people are listening on the podcast or maybe down in the cafe, watching it being streamed, God, I pray that all of us would just settle our hearts just for a moment. And we would allow your Holy Spirit to begin to ask us some questions about these four declarations of trust. Which one do we need to declare? Maybe it's one, maybe it's all of them. Father, we want you to hear from us, from us, that we've learned to pray because your son taught us. He taught him 2,000 years ago and for every generation since. And may it be, oh God, that we would be a generation that serves those that come after us and we would teach them these declarations of trust that should flow from our lives. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.